You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. I started talking about offense and the consequences, and, and really kind of ties into what, with what Kelly's saying. I really believe if we are going to go where God wants to take us, we're going to have to get out of a spirit of offense. We're going to have to agree, and we're going to have to come into a place where we allow God to begin to mature us, to grow us as believers. And the spirit of offense can be a stopper, can be a game stopper in what God is wanting to do in us and what God is wanting to do in us um, as a congregation. And, And again, when we choose to walk in offense, and it is a choice, it is a deliberate choice that we choose to walk in offense by either, you know, something that someone has said um, or done to us or the words and actions of others. And we kind of quoted a, a passage from the uh, pastor author John Bevere in his book, The Bait of Satan. And I, I want to just kind of go back to that because, again, it provides a very, very good description. I think it provides a great foundation uh, to talk about the spirit of offense, the havoc, the destruction, the chaos uh, that it creates when it, again, it's just allowed to run unrampant, unchecked in our church and in our lives. And in the opening part of his book, here's what Bevere says. Anyone who has trapped animals knows a trap needs one of two things to be successful. It must be hidden in the hope that an animal will stumble upon it, and it must be baited to lure the animal into the trap's deadly jaws. Satan, the enemy of our souls, incorporates both of these strategies as he lays out his most deceptive and deadly traps. And he says one of his most deceptive and insidious kinds of bait is something every Christian and I would add non-Christian, has encountered, and that again is this spirit of offense. Actually, offense itself is not deadly if it stays in the trap. But if we pick it up and we feed on it, we consume it in our hearts, then we have become offended. Now, here's the fruit that offended people produce. Here's the fruit, an offended church, meaning you've got a lot of people in the church that are walking in offense. Here's the kind of fruit, Bevere says, that it produces. Anger, hurt, outrage, jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness, hatred, and envy. Some of the consequences of picking up an offense are insults, attacks, wounding, division, separation, broken relationships, betrayal, and backsliding. Often those who are offended do not even realize they're trapped. That's how deceptive offense is. You're offended and you don't even realize it. Because if you realize you're offended and you're walking in offense, it's not deception, it's rebellion. Deception is you have no clue you're walking in it, but you are. They're so oblivious to their condition because they're so focused on the wrong that was done to them, they are in denial. The most effective way for the enemy to blind us is to cause us to focus on ourselves. It was interesting. Um, Someone came up to me uh, right as I was down in the kitchen this morning and said, yeah, this woman came in and and, uh, she saw another lady and told me she was leaving the church, that she was was not going to be here because of that woman. She would never, ever come back to this church and then wanted to know what I was going to do about it. I said, thank God she's gone. 
That's kind of how I feel about the spirit of offense. If people are gonna come in here with a spirit of offense, it's either like, okay, we gotta change our hearts and, and choose not to walk in offense or leave because God can't do anything with the spirit of offense in us or the spirit of offense in our church. It hinders God from doing and moving uh, in ways that God wants to move. So again, you can see that being offended, it is serious stuff. It is damaging, it is destructive to you. It can be damaging and destructive to the body. And so we need to understand what it is and, and how do we begin to deal with this. And the first thing we talked about, again, was that opportunity to be offended, it's always going to be present. It's always gonna be there. The potential for you and me to be offended, to be offensive, it's always going to be there. Every day, sometimes multiple times in one day, there's gonna be an opportunity to be offended, to take offense at something someone does or says. That's why Jesus says in Luke 17, one, it is impossible that no offenses should come. And so Jesus says that opportunity to be offended, to walk in offense is going to be present to every one of us throughout our lives. When we become a Christian, it's not that we're insulated from that. No, we're, we're probably more open to it than ever. Let me just interject something here really quickly before we kind of get into the second point, and that is one of the ways we can walk in offense isn't so much by something that's done to us, but we can take on the offense of other people. Now, when I talk about taking on the offense of other people, what I'm saying is something is done to someone you know, maybe it's someone that you, a family member, a, a very good friend, that something that is done to them, it wasn't done to you, it wasn't said to you, it was done and said to them, but you have taken on that offense. And you walk in that. Years ago, we were still meeting in the YFC building. So before we even moved here into this building, we had a situation in our church that got really super messy fast. And I'm not gonna give a lot of details, but just trust me when I say it was messy. And the family was attending here and we were really trying to work with the family to try to resolve things. We were trying to give space and time for the individuals uh, who were causing the offense to kind of come to the realization of what they were doing. We were trying to give them time to repent uh, from their very, very sinful, it was unbiblical, ungodly behavior. We wanted to give them an opportunity to just come to acknowledgement that what they were doing was wrong and to come to repentance. Now, it was a situation I had never, ever dealt with before. And so I'm trying to figure out the best way to deal with this as everything is kind of just unfolding. So suffice it to say, um, I made a lot of mistakes. Our leadership made a lot of mistakes in how things were being handled. Again, as a church, we were really trying to walk in that balance, which is, again, is very, very difficult in messy situations between being graceful and, and just being, you know, uh, um, patient, uh, you know, that long suffering that the Bible calls uh, us for. Um, and we're also at the same time, we're trying to be faithful to God's word. We're trying to be faithful to the moving, the leading, the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we were willing to call sin, sin, and we were. Uh, and, and so there was this couple in our church who were particularly close to this family. And the longer this situation went on, the angrier they got and they became very impatient 
And they started to become very vocal in their displeasure uh, in the way things were being handled by me and our leadership. And I met with them and I tried to explain to them what we were doing and how we were trying to handle things and allowing them time to come to, again, repentance and acknowledgement uh, of their sin. And eventually, um, they had just had enough. And they just you know, accused us of coddling this person and demanded, demanded I bring this person before the church. I mean, bring them literally physically up before the church, expose them before the congregation, denounce them before the congregation and kick them out. Very, very dramatic. Now, I know there's a biblical reference for that. I didn't believe we were at that point yet. And even if we were, I was not convinced that was the way God wanted us to go in dealing with this. Well, to make a long story short, they became so angry. They just left the church. I mean, as they're walking out, I mean, they are speaking curses on me, on our leadership, curses over our church. And, and I tell you that story because uh, what really happened here was this man had taken on the offense of someone else, acting as if the sin had been committed against him, his family, and it hadn't. He was merely a friend of the person whom the offense was being committed against. And at some point, he just took that offense upon himself. And again, the point being, you can take on the offense committed against other people, and it'll have the same consequence and ramifications in your life. To this day, and that was again about 10 years ago, whenever I see this family, if I see this family in public, I mean, they will just look um, the other way. So the opportunity, again, Jesus says, it's impossible that offenses are not going to come. So the opportunity to take offense is always going to be present. And it doesn't always have to be an offense committed against you. It's very easy to take on the offense of other people. The second thing we talked about regarding offense was we have no biblical grounds. None. Zero, zip, nada. No biblical grounds. There, you have no right you do not, God does not give you permission. The Holy Spirit does not give you permission to be offensive or to take offense. Colossians 3.15, again, we looked at what Paul says. Since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. See, when you start getting filled up with that kind of stuff, there's not going to be room for offense. Paul goes on and says, you must make allowances for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony, in perfect unity. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are all called to live in peace and always be thankful. I love in Wendy's prayer this morning. I mean, man, she was just calling all of this forth. And again, we gotta choose. Do we wanna walk in that? Do we wanna be clothed in that? Again, it's a choice. And the scripture makes it abundantly clear that as holy people whom God loves, you must. Do you get that? You must. It's not a suggestion. It's not just God saying, here's a alternative, here's a good idea, you might maybe think about this. He said, no, you must. 
Paul said, if you're going to guard yourself against taking offense and being offended, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, not a recommendation. It is a commandment. Why? Because people are watching us. Our witness is on display. Our holiness or our lack thereof, it's kind of on public display for everyone and anyone to see. And let's begin, uh, let's be honest. I mean, forgiveness usually is not our first reaction when someone offends us, isn't it? It should be, but it's not. And I'm speaking more from my own experience than any of yours. The Bible says it should be. But what amazes me is if someone said or did something that caused you to be offended, the question is why punish yourself by leaving the church, by breaking fellowship? John Bevere would argue because that's what offended people do. That's their fruit. That's the byproduct when they take on offense. They leave rather than remain. They don't know how. They're not willing to make allowances for other people's faults, their failures, their mistakes, their shortcomings. They don't have the maturity. They don't have the depth in Christ to begin to work it out like you would in a family. Kelly talked about that. Things do get messy. Things do tend to get ugly sometimes in a family. And if we're gonna come into that maturity, if we're gonna come into that depth of the spirit that God wants for us for, for this congregation, we've gotta learn how to be able to work through those situations. Remember the quote I shared from his book. He said, offended people produce much fruit, anger, hurt, outrage, jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness, hatred, envy. He said, some of the consequences of picking up an offense are insults, attacks, wounding, division, separation, broken relationships, betrayal, and backsliding. Again, do you, do you see, do you understand the potential danger that is involved when you and I choose to be offended by something someone said or did. And if you're here today struggling with hurt and anger, maybe you're here and you've got outrage and, and jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness, envy, maybe those are kind of pretty active fruits in your life right now. It's possible that maybe you're walking in offense because of something somebody said and or did, and it is having this kind of an impact in your life. See, I, I can, honestly, I can stand up here all day, and not just me, any of you, Jim, um, Jessup, Joquin, I mean, any of you can come up here and be as offensive as we want to be, as we can be. I could yell at you, I could make biting, sarcastic remarks about your looks, I could say things about your mother, I mean, whatever it is to, whatever it is to, to, to you know, to trigger you, Regardless of what I say or do, regardless of what anybody else says or does, that does not give us, you, me, us, the right, the grounds, the authority to be offended at my offensiveness. Now, I have no biblical right, zero, zip, not a none. I have no biblical right. I have no permission from God. I have no leading. I have no authority from the Holy Spirit to be offensive towards you. I don't but that's on me, not you. But when you take offense to what I do, it's on me and it's on you. 
Jesus clearly again states, it's impossible that no offense should come, but woe, woe to him through whom they do come. So again, if I'm acting offensively toward you, woe is me. But if you pick up that offense, you take on that offense, the Bible would say, woe is you. There's a price to be paid on both sides. If I'm acting offensively towards you, woe is me. If you make allowances for my faults, if you walk in love toward me and my faults, my failures, my imperfections for my offensiveness, you choose not to take the offense, but I'm gonna clothe myself in love, patience, forgiveness. You have avoided the deadly trap the devil has laid for you through my offensiveness. Do you see that? This could transform some of your relationships and it could save some of you from a lot of heartache, both inside and outside the church, if you have ears to hear. Look at what Ecclesiastes 10.4 says, if a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Great calmness. In other words, your response has the potential to lay great offenses to rest. I love how the Living Translation quotes this one. It says it like this, if your boss is angry with you, don't quit. A quiet spirit, a gentle spirit can overcome even great mistakes. Again, if someone is offensive towards you, don't quit, don't leave, don't quit your post, don't walk out of the church, don't resign, don't allow that person's actions to control you to control your actions or to dictate your attitudes. When somebody does or says something offensive, you do not have to take that offense on. It's a choice of whether you're gonna be offended or whether you're gonna walk in tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and calmness. Do you realize when somebody's ungodly action causes an ungodly reaction in you you have given that person a tremendous amount of control over your life. It's true. When you can say or do something that causes me to take offense, do you realize I have yielded control of my choices and a part of my life over you and to you? Look at our culture today. Liberals offended by conservatives, conservatives offended by liberals, Republicans offended by Democrats, Democrats offended by Republicans, Jews offended by Muslims, Muslims offended by Jews, Christians offended by atheists, atheists offended by Christians, pro-lifers offended by pro-choicers, pro-choicers offended by pro-lifers, homosexuals offended by heterosexuals, heterosexuals offended by homosexuals, whites offended by blacks, blacks offended by whites, illegal immigrants offended by non-immigrants, non-immigrants offended by illegal immigrants. Is it any wonder Why today's culture, the climate in our country today is so full of hate and division. We can disagree with each other. I don't have to like everything you say or do. 
but I can still respect, I can still love, I can still honor you. The part of you that's made in the image and the likeness of God, no matter how difficult that may be to see sometimes, it's there. It's there. It's there in me. It's there in you. It's just what you choose to look for. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 10, and he says, and then many will be what? Offended. Will what? Betray one another. And will what? Hate one another. And become what? Lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow what? Cold. But what about that one who endures to the end? Yeah, he's going to be saved. Saved not just in the sense of salvation, but saved in the sense of a lot of heartache. Do you see the progression in that verse? It starts with becoming offended. That's the first thing Jesus mentions, the, the spirit of offense. And then look what that spirit of offense leads to. Look what it gives way to. Look what it opens the door to. Look what it invites in with it. Look what offense chooses to partner itself with. Betrayal, betrayal leads to hatred. Hatred leads to lawlessness. Lawlessness leads to coldness. But Jesus says those who do not become offended or allow that a spirit of offense to attach itself to them, to control them in any way, you will be saved. Saved from a lot of heartache, saved from a lot of grief, tension, destructive relationships, and torment. Is being offended worth all of this? And again, think of the time we waste, the opportunities that God brings to us, and we're just not in a place or a position to really move with God in that area. How many of you chose the clothes you're wearing this morning? This will be fun. How many, how many of you, your wives, picked the clothes you're wearing this morning? <laughs> That's why you match. That's why you look so nice, right? Again, you decided probably primarily what you were going to wear this morning, right? And the Apostle Paul says you have that same ability, that same freedom in what you choose to clothe your spirit, your heart, your attitude in this morning. You have the freedom to clothe yourself in offense, or you have the freedom to clothe yourself in tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness, patience and calmness. You decide. Nobody else can make you do or be or say something you don't want to do, be, or say. Let me just close with this story. Many of you know my dad died the end of this past July. And I have an older brother, and we have never, ever, ever gotten along. I don't ever remember a time growing up with him that I ever had really good feelings or good thoughts or good memories of him. Um, we've never really gotten along at all. Growing up, he was, in my, from my perspective, he was a bully, he was very mean, he was cruel, and I just never liked the guy. We left home, I never really ever saw him, never really communicated with him, except for those rare times that we would have kind of family gatherings and we would both be there, and then I would kind of just tolerate him and, and, and he me. 
And if we ever did have any kind of uh, meaningful interactions, they were very, very few. They were very far between. And I can tell you that they were very fake and they were very shallow on my part. Okay? I just did not want to be in any kind of relationship with him. So as my dad got very, very sick, a lot of you know, he ended up here in Mason City at our home. And because of that, my older brother started coming up and started seeing um, my dad because we realized that my dad was dying and, and you know, my brother needed to come and, and you know, we, we had to make allowances for that, right? And so I, I knew I was gonna have to have more um, interactions with him, especially as he's coming to see our dad, and I just cringed. You can ask Janie. I just cringed at the thought um, of him coming, and I really found it very difficult to be around him when he was here. I would mainly be there to greet them when they arrived and to say goodbye when they left, and I just tried to keep my interactions in, in any time uh, just very, very minimal. Sometimes I would just leave altogether. So during all of this, my older brother is being so nice, which was very, very unusual for him. He was being extraordinarily helpful. He's being profoundly grateful toward me because he sees everything my sister and I are doing for my dad, realizing if, if this was him, he could never do it. So he is so grateful, thanking us all the time uh, and, and how much he appreciates everything that we're doing, taking care of my dad in his final days of life. And he's trying very hard to be a brother. But you are not a brother to me. You are a father to me. And I wanted nothing to do with it. I was trying to be kind, but I knew deep down inside my kindness was faked and forced. So my dad dies, and we go through all of the things we had to do with that, having him buried in northern Minnesota, dealing with all of the estate issues. And my brother, again, is right there trying to do everything that he can uh, to be helpful, to be kind, to be grateful. And I am just trying to get all of this done so I can be done with him. So everything is pretty settled. My dad is buried. The bulk of the estate is pretty much done. And I'm just trying to get back into a life, a pattern of normalcy. During all of this, as my brother's coming up and visiting my dad, my brother tells me during one of our conversations there that uh, he was going to be turning 60. Um, on September 11th, and as a gift to himself, he was going to spend the entire month of September um, up in northern Minnesota fishing as kind of a gift to himself. So beginning of September rolls around, and my brother heads um, uh, to his month in Minnesota. Again, my dad has, you know, passed away. He's buried. Um, and I kind of remember thinking that day, oh, it's the first of September. Uh, you know, I, I know my brother is uh, heading off to northern Minnesota for a month. So later that afternoon, I get a phone call from him, and he says, well, I got to Minnesota today, and I am really having a hard time. Silence. I did not know what to say to him. I'm not responding, because for me to respond to him, I would have to care. 
Now, where he is at in Minnesota is just a few miles from where my dad is being, was buried. So eventually I said, yeah, I figured this was going to be a really tough time for you. And my mind is just racing. What do I say? How do I respond? I don't know how to care for him. I don't care that I don't know how to care for him. All I care about at this point is I just want to get off the phone. So then he says, is there any way you could come up for a few days and just hang out? We could go fishing together. It would just be nice to spend some time together. I am speechless. I don't know how to respond. So I said, let me think about it, talk to Janie, and let's see if we can work something out. I hung up the phone and I burst into tears. Janie's like, what is wrong? I said, he is being so much nicer to me than I am to him, and I am the Christian. <laughs> he is trying to reach out, and all I'm trying to do is ditch Mitch. <laughs> so my brother's name is Mitch. He is trying so much harder than I am, and I'm the Christian. That's the problem. Here's the thing. When God moves, or when God is starting to move, and you are stuck, and you are mired down in offense, in bitterness, in unforgiveness, you can't, you won't move with God. You can't go where God wants to go. You can't do what God wants you to do. And I, I sense God is moving in my brother through all that has happened with my dad. And because I am clothed in offense and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness toward him, I can't move with God. I cannot be a part of what God is trying to do in this situation. So I repented. I realized there's... there's, there's Obviously, layers of forgiveness here I have not extended toward him. And I just had to make a choice. At that moment, I have got to stop walking in offense, in bitterness, in hatred, in anger, and unforgiveness. And I've got to stop letting the past hinder me in what God is wanting to do here and into the future. So again, I made that choice. I'm going to clothe myself in love, tenderheartedness, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, because it is a choice, especially towards my brother. And I decided I'm going to move with God, and I'm going to go where God is going so I can do what God is doing. So I called him back a couple days later, and I said, I will come, and I will spend a few days with you. I even, a week later, on his birthday, September 11th, I called and I wished him a happy birthday. I had never, ever done that before. So several weeks later, and Janie can tell you, I had a lot of trepidation in doing this. There were times I started looking for reasons and excuses not to go. 
because I knew it was going to be difficult. I knew it was going to be uncomfortable at points because I really didn't know where this was all going to go and you know how we all like to be in control of things, right? So I went, and I would love to tell you that he got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, and you know, moved and flows in the prophetic gifting, but none of that happened. But we did have some very momentary, impactful conversations about God, about our relationship. We were able to talk about God in the role of suffering, which was something that he was really struggling to understand. To be honest, I wasn't trying to limit God in this time with my brother, but my goal those few days was I just wanted to be able to go to be with him and to actually come away from that experience um, having truly enjoyed being around him. Because I never felt that ever before with him. And I did. I was actually able to go and to be with him, to be around him. And there were difficult moments, trust me. But I was actually able to walk away from that and to be able to say, I really enjoyed being with you. He's a great fisherman. I mean, he reminds me so much of my grandpa. I mean, we would get in the boat and he just knew right where to go to catch whatever we wanted to catch. And I was just really amazed by that. And so again, it was a, it was a way for me to truly enjoy something. And I, I, I tried to, you know, thank him for all the ways that he was being very gracious um, uh, in that. And, and again, I really did enjoy being with him. Now, if I would have tried to go there and, and to do all of that while I'm walking in a fence, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, it would have been a complete dumpster fire, right? But when you learn to let go of all of that junk, and again, just lay it down. I, I think, Wendy, you kind of talked this morning about just let it go and let God. And you just, again, learn and, and ask God to just begin to help you walk in that newness that identity of who you are in Christ, that you are a person who now is filled. You have the opportunity to walk in love and patience and in tenderheartedness and in humility and kindness. You will be amazed at the opportunities God will bring your way, the impact people will, uh, that God will begin to have on people around you. And so I just want to close with this this morning. In your bulletin, there is an insert that looks like the one there on the screen. And I'm just asking each of us individually and as a congregation together, can, can we just as a family commit to this? I do not want to walk in offense, in bitterness, in anger, in strife, in division, in chaos, in disunity. I don't want to do that anymore. And I choose this morning that I want to walk a completely different way. I want to walk God's way. And I want to, I want to be clothed in tender-hearted mercy and humility and kindness and patience. I want to put on that most important piece of clothing, love. I want to be able, uh, again, to allow love to cover a multitude of sin. I want to make allowances 
for people's faults, their failures, and their mistakes. I don't want to hold people to uh, a, 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 a standard of perfection that's impossible for any of us. I choose, I want to walk, and I want to make allowances for people's faults, their failures, their shortcomings. And man, when somebody says or does something that offends me or has the potential to offend me, I'm not gonna run from them. I'm gonna go to them and I'm gonna talk with them and I'm gonna share with them that maybe what they did or said, you know, it, 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 it hurt me. Can we talk about that? Rather than causing it to divide us. Rather than you stay and deal with it, you leave. That is not God's way. And that is not the way a loving family works. And what God is building here among us is a loving family. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a loving family. And I know many of you do as well. So I'm just asking you, take that this morning, sign it, date it, put it in a place whether it's in the bathroom mirror, whether it's on the refrigerator, whatever, wherever you frequent a lot, just have it there as an ongoing reminder. Oh, yeah. You know, maybe as you, every time you see a stop sign, rather than see just the word S-T-O-P, you maybe kind of see the phrase, stop being offended. <laughs> stop offense. You know, just that commitment to do that. So do that this morning, um, and I just, again, I believe that we're going to begin to see the fruit uh, of what God is doing when we choose to not walk in offense, but choose to walk um, in the things that God has for us. Father, again, we just thank you so much this morning. God, you've laid before us, God, a choice. And God, you're calling us, your word says, as people you dearly love. You dearly deeply love us. God, you are calling us to make that decision, God, this morning that we are gonna clothe ourselves in tenderhearted mercy, in kindness, in grace, in gentleness. Father, that we are going to take on that most important piece of clothing, love. That, God, that that would bind our hearts to yours, that it would bind our hearts to one another. That, God, when we begin to walk in love, God, that there would just come such a unity, such a harmony within our body that, that offense has no place to live, to thrive, to grow, to go in this place. And so, Father, this morning we choose, we make that commitment to you, to ourselves, to one another, no more, I'm not walking in offense. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that you can do in us that which we cannot do ourselves. You are our strength. You are our rock. You are our foundation. You are our example. And Father, all we ask, Lord, is that again, you would just continue to lead us and to guide us uh, into those places, God, that again, is going to release more and more of your power and presence in this place. And we thank you for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus. You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org.
For listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.